What's the agenda behind the Buffalo shooting story? I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. Big headlines all weekend about a shooting in Buffalo. I'll read you the first one that caught my eye. Gunman kills 10 at Buffalo supermarket in racist attack. President Biden called for a thorough investigation and said there was no harbor for hate-filled domestic terrorism. The 18-year-old white gunman who pleaded not guilty left behind a manifesto. So that was all in the headline. That is making an impression in your mind that all of that stuff is known. And for me, unless it's in evidence, I don't accept it. And I have been digging in and digging in, and very little of that is in evidence. And furthermore, given my experience and research, very little of even the basic premise will I take on faith. So the gunman kills 10 at a Buffalo supermarket in a racist attack. If you looked at the videos from the New York subway attack a couple of weeks ago, you might join me in wondering if any of that is true. One gunman, two gunmen, any gunman, how many people were killed? I don't take any of this stuff for face value. And the narrative of hate-filled domestic terrorism, that he left a manifesto, the manifesto still has not been verified as his. Not that I put it past them to say that they have verified it as his, but they are not even claiming that yet. And it is a kind of hodgepodge of a bunch of other people's manifestos. So I don't know how they're going to make this thing unfold, but... Right now, I will tell you kind of what they're saying and what the agendas are, because actually, I don't really cover that much of these things, these big events that are clearly being narrated to us for agenda reasons, for policy reasons. And this is where I used to get like on the radio, people would say, I thought everything was fake and it was totally rude of me to question any of the facts. Okay, don't question the facts. That's fine. I don't need you to question the facts. As long as you are absolutely willing to defend your principles and not be swayed by the emotion one way or the other, then I don't care about the stories and how they're spun. But you need to be aware that these stories are all being fed into an agenda or a whole series of agendas that will get you to change or get the mass, the public to give up on some principles that they otherwise would still hold if they weren't bombarded with these stories, the emotions, the narratives every time. So I don't do every one of these stories. Actually, after the Parkland one in February 2018, it's hard to get some of the deeper research. It's just I can I'm going to try to figure it out, but normally I don't try to dig in. And like in this one, too, it was kind of hard to get to the deeper research, but I got enough that I know at least what they don't have evidence on. But I will take you through this one, and then I'll tell you what I think the specific agendas are here. There's a whole slew of agendas that come down with stuff like this. They never, ever just focus on one or even just two. And little details always feed into other agendas. It's kind of masterful. And you'll see, like in the report from Iron Mountain, I was reminded of that several times because they talk about two things. They talk about, or they talk about many things, but two things that I think are relevant is they know, they do computer modeling of how many events or how much carnage or whatever would be required to change a the public's policy viewpoint. And that's something that's kind of, important because they don't have to take one event and make a policy come out of that. They're just kind of chipping away at what you're thinking. And the other thing that comes from the report from Iron Mountain is that they really 
always multitask. They are never doing an operation that doesn't have more than one agenda item being served. So I try to look at that too. And that's why not every single item that could be addressed by every single incident is always brought to the fore immediately. Or you think something big is going to happen after a shooting, but it doesn't like a gun control or a gun grab, but it doesn't. And I think it's because they just build up, they build up, they're pretty sophisticated at how these psyops work. They may be simple, but they're effective. (laughs) And I think they follow this pattern. So let me just tell you what's the story here and the narrative. The story is that an 18-year-old named Peyton Gendron, G-E-N-D-R-O-N, I had to literally look up and see if that was a real last name. Apparently it is a French last name, which means something about like inherited my land from my (laughs) father-in-law. So, But he's only 18, he doesn't have a father-in-law. So he traveled from, and this is important, an almost all-white town, Conklin, New York, to a majority black, segregated, they call it segregated, although as a Yankee, I think of segregation as like a law, but it's a pretty segregated place in Buffalo, New York. They bring up for sure that he was there the day before and he was checking the place out. One article I read said maybe that he was even there in March and checking it out. And I think that's to bring in the kind of malice of forethought to kill as many black people as he could so that it's becomes elevated to maybe a federal crime. So he shot 13 people, killing 10. Almost all of those people were black. And then this this is, they bring out the personal stories of each victim. And when you read them, they're like every single one of the victims was just the most amazing person, was a hero, was a grandma, was a volunteer, was all of this. And it definitely feels manipulative. And I don't, I don't really know what happens with these mass shootings. I mean, I don't know if they're provoked or agents provocateur or what and or if they're just completely fabricated I don't know but so I don't want to disparage anybody but it's just the way they write it it's obviously meant to have an emotional impact this but this is a real crazy thing this is his timeline he arrived in the parking lot of this place tops the grocery store at 2 30 the police were called at 2 31 they arrived at 2 32 And he had already shot four people, three of whom died outside in the parking lot and got a call from the dispatcher at 2.34 that there was an active shooter inside. By 2.36, he was outside. They had disarmed him and he had put down his weapon or whatever. He was going to shoot himself. And then they took him into custody. And he had inside shot eight people and killed six. So this was all in the span of six minutes from the time he arrived. So I think that just, that defies credibility for me. Maybe I don't know, but one important detail is that he did a lot of research into previous shooters, including the New Zealand guy and the, the Anders Brevik, whatever his name is, from Sweden. He used racial slurs while he was shooting, and he had that kind of thing inscribed on his high-power weapon. Now, this is the narrative. And one thing that came up a lot is that there was a white person cowering on the floor, which he passed over saying, oh, sorry, I'm not looking for you, I guess was the message there. What the number one thing that I noticed in the story was he was wearing body armor that stopped the bullet that would have stopped him. And then he killed the security guard who would have taken him down. He had threatened a school shooting last year, the year he was graduating and was taken into custody, was being observed for 36 hours, and a mental eval was recommended. 
He bought the gun himself, but and it was legal, but the magazines were not legal. Uh, he is being held on without bail on one charge of first degree murder, which I I'm assume I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that there's some reason that they only want to charge one thing as long as they can keep him in place because then they can craft how they want to charge him. Obviously, that this is going to the federal level, even though really for me, it's only counterfeiting and treason are federal crimes. But that's a thing of the past. I think like all federal crimes really are just a, an example of double jeopardy. So, and this is where we really start getting into narrative. He streamed all of this from a helmet-mounted GoPro, which he broadcast on Twitch, which was relayed very quickly. Even though Twitch took it down within two minutes, it was relayed very quickly by stream streamable. He had published stuff on 4chan and Discord prior to the incident. So just check all those boxes because those are the things that they are highlighting to be under attack. It is absolutely a part of the narrative that he was radicalized online. And for me, as I, I dug into some of this stuff, and other than the manifesto and the stuff that was written on his on his gun and that he said on a GoPro attached to a body armor helmet. So I'm assuming we don't see him in that video. So for me, there isn't any concrete evidence that this kid was a racist. So I dug into it just to see if if this story held together. And there really was very little information out there. His parents are civil engineers who worked for the Department of Transportation. It appears to me that he has two brothers, younger brothers, who were in the same school system as he was. I found some names in there, which I won't repeat. There was a feature for, of him winning a science prize in 2017. He was enrolled in community college after having graduated last year. And here was another thing that was super weird was that as I tried to dig into this, so like I looked at that science prize where there was a picture of him and the dates kind of worked. So I feel like this is a person who is 18 right now. He's going to be 19 in a month. That a lot of the stuff that I was trying to get to was 404, like this page no longer exists. And that's pretty par for the course. But one of them really stood out to me. This was in his 2017 Science Prize page. There were two PDFs that you could click on to see some details. And one of them was called Head to the States. So I guess he was just escalating. He was winning and moving on to like the state level. And then maybe it was going to go national. I don't know. So that page was 404. And I just wanted to see why, because nothing else on that page was. So I went to the Wayback Machine and it, it was saved once on the Wayback Machine. So like anytime it's screenshot, you can find it on the Wayback. So I clicked on that once. It was saved only once, this weird page from 2017, May 14th, 2022. So two days ago. And then the screenshot of the page being saved was a 404. It was very weird to me. So I assume it got 404 and then they screenshot it. So I'm curious to know what was in that page from five years ago. Anyway, so I also looked into this, uh, why he was taken in last year, and it's a little confusing. Now, one is the, the initial reports that I read were that he made a general threat about shooting at the graduation. And 
the story I believe in the first story I read was that it was against one particular student. It was not racially motivated. And after having followed the case of Justin Carter for a long time, he had written something online and literally wrote JK next to it, like just kidding, next to it and was in jail for so long, really ruined his life. It was a terrible, terrible thing that happened to Justin Carter. So now, like when that kind of stuff happens, I just wonder if it was a joke or I don't know what. It would be a stupid joke or maybe somebody just made it up. But I think that the reason they held him, and this was referred to in one of those early reports about what that about that happening, was that he had done a project on murder suicides and he had written stuff about it. And that's unless it was maybe it was for a psych course or a social sciences class, because he's a science guy. And he was going to school for engineering, his parents were engineers, so it seems like a weird thing for him to do a project on unless he had to specifically do a social sciences project. But to me, that would account for why they held him and especially why they keep saying that he did a lot of online research into these guys. So one might say, well, that he got interested then or that's why he was doing that. But for me, this kind of stuff, it's just as likely that that's what flagged him as a potential patsy because they had this huge, long trail of research that he did. But in the beginning, in the articles I read earlier, they were for this project. So, you know, and I'm not even crystal clear that it wasn't the project itself that got him hauled in. Something that the governor of New York, Hochul, 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 said it was like something he had written was what got him in trouble. So I don't, I didn't think that the threat was written, the supposed threat against his classmates. So it's very not clear why he got hauled in, but I'm drilling down into something a little bit different from what they want. Like one of the, the intelligencer referred to an AP article and said that he was, he threatened a mass shooting and he definitely didn't. And even the reference they used to the AP article didn't even say mass shooting, but it really annoys me when these we these news outlets refer to other news outlets for their sources. That's not a source. The Washington Post is not a source, and I can't get into the Washington Post. I can't see it. It needs to be a primary source at least, and I cannot stand this, but at least like the government worker or something, and all, most of this was unauthorized, a police officer unauthorized to comment. I want accountability. I want, I want, especially if it's an official source, like give me a name. Why can you not get any information? Anyway, so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, what are the agenda items that are being served? And I, and we can just kind of tick it off one by one. So the idea that he came from a segregated place and of like mostly white people and then went to a segregated place of mostly black people, all of that to me points to this suburban housing agenda. Like Biden wants to take away zoning from suburban, like single family housing. I feel like this plays into that, but I don't think it's a main agenda. I think this, uh, the mouse of forethought is setting up for federal charges For me, the biggest one, the biggest deal is that he was wearing body armor, as I mentioned. So I have long thought that they were coming after body armor. Like my thinking about how they go for guns, they go for what I call resistance grade weaponry, and they want you to keep your target justifying weaponry. They want to take away anything that could give them a real fight So they want you to keep like handguns, which are most of the murders are committed with handguns, but they want you to keep them because I just have this vision of them like driving down your street with a in a tank or 
you know, soldiers coming and you come out with your handgun and they can just shoot you dead. I, I don't act. I don't think our the, no, no, like people in the military, I know are ready to do that. But I'm just saying, like, this is a long term plan. But if you came out with with, you know, a sniper rifle like that would be probably more of a problem for them. And then similarly, why go after body armor when it's really just your way of defending yourself against being shot at? I think they really want us to be sitting ducks. So I tweeted or what's watched out Ford that, oh, there's probably going to be a messaging bill, a bill that comes out. They don't expect it to pass, but they're going to float the idea that body armor is a dangerous weapon. Because in this case, it was dead. like the guy would have been taken down if he wasn't wearing body armor. And and he killed the guy who tra- the the law guy, <laughs> the security guard, former police officer in the process. So it's very dangerous to wear body armor. And I thought, well, they're going to come out with a bill. And it just occurred to me. Let me see if somebody did float the bill last year, 2021, a New York legislator, a New York legislator proposed a bill. And this all happened in New York. Uh, Jonathan Jacobson, a Democrat, introduced a bill to amend an existing law that bans the use of body armor by criminals committing a felony with a firearm. So there is a law, it's a felony, which this guy should have been charged with and wasn't, for using body armor while committing a felony with a firearm. So they probably didn't charge him because they don't want you to know that the law is already on the books for that. So he said the law would expand his proposal would expand the ban to everyone and actually confiscate body armor make it illegal to purchase except for if you were a police officer or you were required by the department of state to use it and people who i guess bank tellers and stuff some people wear body armor and they want to keep wearing it and in any case I think that the that the entire purpose of the Second Amendment is resistance grade weaponry and body armor. I mean, that's what keeps the Second Amendment uh, have teeth. So I definitely think that that's a big part of it. Another thing is about him having bought the gun legally and having been held last year. They got into a little bit that regular federal law doesn't allow to disqualify you from owning a weapon, but that red flag laws are in place. So if anybody, anybody, I think like a cop or your friends or family or anybody can kind of flag you and get your gun rights taken away from you. And I had read last year that they're concerned that the law isn't used enough and they want to promote using the law. So I feel like this is kind of a secondary agenda item. And one of the biggest things is that he was radicalized online. And they're assuming he was radicalized online because it was, or some of the articles I read was he came from such a nice town. How could he possibly be radicalized there? He did all this research online. It's circumstantial, obviously. But there was an article that in the Black Wall Street Journal, I believe it's called. Let me double check that. It's the Black Wall Street Times. And this was very propaganda-y. I feel like it just only exists for propaganda, that it's not really super journalistic. The opening line is, My Black Perspective on the Buffalo Race Massacre and Peyton Gendron of Conklin, New York, is that he had been radicalized by unchecked culture and social media all in the name of free speech unchecked culture and social media all in the name of free speech. But here's the funny thing is that the picture at the top of the article, which I will link below, is a picture of this kid in a white mask 
weird for him to be like wearing a mask, but I guess it was during the time, whatever. And and behind him on the looks like on the wall of his room or something, behind him is a bunch of stuff. One is a Confederate flag, one is a picture of the Trump rally and Trump memorabilia, whatever. Another is a picture of the Capitol with draped over the picture a little rope in the shape of a noose. And this kid sitting standing in front of it is like, wow, like that's crazy looking. And I, I just thought, maybe this is Photoshopped. And uh, hat tip to VP, yes, it appears to be Photoshopped. And then I actually found that the main picture, that it was his image, was while he was being booked. So it was an image that I found in another article shortly thereafter, but without all the stuff behind it, just a white wall because he was in custody. And this is a guy who's criticizing social media for free speech, and he's literally going out of his way to manipulate public perception with stuff that wasn't in evidence like that. I don't think that kid's room looked like that. And what was he doing? Is this guy guilty until proven innocent? Is he trying to prejudice the public so he doesn't get a fair trial? Basically, he's really just trying to to give to promote this narrative. I was looking at that like, wow, I mean, that would convince me that he was racist, but it wasn't a real picture. And I really can't find anything like that. No smoking gun like that, except for the manifesto, which they're not ready yet to say they could definitively link to him. I fully expect them to do that. So this guy goes on to say his deranged thinking has been shaped by American culture for nearly 400 years before his birth. I think that goes to critical race theory. Ever since it's been stoked it says stroked by racist right-wing ideology and media through commentators like Tucker Carlson. He comes up in s- several of these articles and personalities like America's 45th president, Donald J. Trump. Show after show, rally after rally, white supremacists peddle racist replacement theory fears to white Americans that if they don't begin to fight like hell, they're going to lose everything. And that great replacement theory is coming up a lot in these articles that White people are afraid. And this came from Charleston. You will not replace us. Like, to me, this was totally fabricated from inside the government. But that quote right there pretty much lays out the whole narrative here. And of course, Liz Cheney piles on the House GOP leadership has enabled white nationalism, white supremacy and anti-Semitism. History has taught us that what begins with words ends in far worse. I mean, this begins with words. That means that they're looking for a priori restraint on speech, which is a total violation of the First Amendment. So I feel like there are a lot of agendas here going on. I'll just uh, tell you what I think the first two absolutely are, and then just a few of the other ones. For me, agenda item number one here is to censor social media, but really to put some teeth in that. Let me read you what the governor of New York, who's from Buffalo, by the way, said. Uh, Well, she one report says she demanded technology companies tell her whether they've done, quote, everything humanly possible to make sure they're monitoring violent content as soon as it appears. So Twitch had it down in two minutes. But I don't think that's enough for her. She said that CEOs of those companies need to be held accountable and assure all of us that they're taking every step humanly possible to be able to monitor this information. If they need to be held accountable, that means that it's going to be like financial officers and companies. It's almost impossible to get, or it was for a while, maybe it still is, a really good financial officer because the liability got too much. Uh, And then I also think that the red flag laws are not the top. Obviously, the censorship is the top agenda item. 
I think, but she said that warning signs were in the gunman's social media activity and should have been flagged and communicated to law enforcement. So that goes both to social media monitoring, censorship, surveillance, and also to flagging. She literally uses the word flag. So other agenda items I think that are specific in this story, there's a lot in all the different shooting stories, but are that teens are troubled and dangerous. They're absolutely troubled and dangerous. And this may be the male version of the female suicides trend that we've been seeing. They want to deter people from going to public places. That was definitely a theme that came up. I just I just want to shop in peace, but I can't. They want people to do everything online. Obviously, they want to foment racism and spread this great replacement theory to gin up that civil war thereafter. Some of the articles referred to curfews from other cities. Maybe that's a teen thing. Maybe that's a gun violence thing. But curfews is one of those legacies of lockdown that I think we're going to keep seeing. I think they really want to get through that single family zoning change in suburbs that from like a federal level, like maybe make it a civil rights thing. I don't know, because it's on Biden's agenda. And that's a very local issue. And of course, they always want to say rights are dangerous. This guy was caught, but then released because he hadn't really done anything wrong, but you should have known. Um, And they label him a domestic terrorist. And remember that we established that terrorists during the Middle East phase were people who did not get God-given rights. So now we have Americans not getting God-given rights because they're labeled before they're convicted. It's kind of backwards. The red flag laws, this domestic terrorism stuff, it's all about not getting your rights until you're proven guilty. And then another thing that came up a few times, took me a minute to see, was this emphasis on food insecurity. So Tops was in what what they're calling a food desert. A lot of, I guess, black neighborhoods don't have the grocery stores that other people have. And to compound that, they don't have as good of cars or money for gas. So Tops was something really important. It was a community center because there isn't a lot of food in that area. This is what the reports are. And this reminded me of the Ukraine law. The Ukraine aid includes spreading money around the world to combat food insecurity that's coming out of Ukraine and Russia's sanctions or lack of transportation or, you know, global supply chain interruptions, whatever it is. Food insecurity is a recurring theme across storylines. So that was a lot, but I think it was worth running through those agenda items so people could be alerted to that. And in the end, you know, my takeaway is that when you're reading mainstream stories, just make sure that the stuff that you're reading is in evidence. Just because you read it a hundred times, which I basically did this morning, doesn't mean that it's in evidence. And eventually they'll probably say it enough times to be able to claim it's true and for everyone to believe it's true. But still, I want to see some evidence. And if I can't verify it, I'm not going to believe it. So that's it. I'm Monica Perez. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it on social media or with someone you think would also enjoy it. And feel free to tweet at me at Monica Perez Show.